Good morning. There's trouble in the churches in Galatia, and uh, thank the Lord, he has used his apostle Paul to uh, rectify, to make those things right, and we're right in the middle of it in our study of Galatians. So let's turn to Galatians 4 and pick up where we left off last week. We'll start with a question, if we could have our first slide. Would you ask a street person for $20? Feel free to answer. No? Okay. Why not? They don't have it or they need it more than I do. Okay. Yeah, they simply don't have it. If I had $20 to spare to give to you, I wouldn't be on the street, basically. Okay? So, no. Um, The the homeless person is not going to give us $20. The Galatian believers had turned from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ to a weak and complicated system of law-keeping. They were spiritually wealthy, but changed to rely on an impoverished set of principles that could not save, could not gain favor for them for God's salvation. So the apostle devotes this section of his letter to these uh, Galatian believers. He pleads with them. He um, pleads with them to return to simple reliance on the Lord Jesus alone for their, their soul's eternal safety. We're going to read through Galatians 4, 8 uh, through 20, but um, in order to help our understanding of Paul's logic, I'd like to look, look first at the events as they happened. Okay, So we're going to look at uh, Galatians 4, 8 through 20, and I'm just going to step through this uh, time-wise. In verse 8, we read that the Galatians lived in slavery to idols. They were really lost. In verse 13, the apostle came to Galatia by God's grace. God uh, sent this, um, uh, this messenger to him, and he did what? He preached the gospel. In verse 14, the Galatians received the messenger. They received the apostle as uh, belonging to the Lord. And so back up to um, verse 9a, the first part of verse 9, The Galatians entered into a saving relationship with the Lord. They knew the Lord, and more importantly, the Lord knew them. They're known by God. So in verse 15, the Galatians enjoyed a spiritual blessing. They acknowledged how much they owed to the Apostle Paul. Things sound pretty good in the churches of Galatia. But in uh, verse 17... Paul says that the Judaizers courted the Galatians to isolate them, to bring them into subjection. And so uh, back to uh, verses 9 and 10, the Galatians turned to the ineffectual Jewish traditions at the um, 
at the teaching of these Judaizers. So in verses 11 and 12, the apostle feared for the Galatians and he urgently appealed to them, be like me, he said. Verse 16, the Galatians showed real disloyalty to Paul. They were hostile toward him. They considered him their enemy because he told them the truth. But in verses 19 and 20, the apostle affirms his commitment to the Galatians and his desire for them, but also his doubts about their handling of the situation there. So that's, the, um, that's really the timeline that we're working with in, uh, in our study this morning. We should, in these past weeks, appreciate the, um, the not confrontational nature, but the, um, the strong doctrinal arguments, someone, uh, some might say thunderous arguments that he presents to the Galatians to dislodge them from this, um, this false doctrine, this evil doctrine that um, the Judaizers have been preaching. By way of review, the, um, uh, the apostle started, we, we call it the beginning of chapter 3, he used the Galatians' own testimony. As the Galatians began by faith, their growth in Christ must continue by faith. Then the next point he raised was, uh, the testimony of Old Testament scripture shows that justification is by faith. Abraham was justified by faith and others must come to God in the same way. Third argument, third point Paul raised was that the law curses those who obey it incompletely or imperfectly. The law brings a curse. Then he used the testimony of human covenants or contracts to, uh, to show that God's promise to Abraham was not nullified or neutralized by his later law to Moses, 430 years following his promise. Um, fifth, he said the purpose of the law was to drive men and women to faith in Jesus, not to save them. And then he said that the blessings of our union with Christ is um, really concentrated in the fact that we are heirs of, uh, of God according to his promise. We have this union with Christ. There's the source. There's the, um, the substance of our, our blessing. Then last week, we saw that believers are adopted sons and no longer bound by the law. And uh, Lord willing, next week we'll look at a symbolic account from history as um, Paul presents Abraham's two sons and uh, they represent the, um, the law, um, the superiority of God's promise to, uh, to the law of Moses. With these points, the apostle has systematically demolished the Judaizers' doctrine. He's repelled their advance. Paul told the Corinthians that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, 
Those are fortresses of wrongly placed human confidence. That's what Paul was doing. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We see his uh, instruction in action there um, to to the churches in Galatia. I believe that the Lord's intent for these principles that we have studied these past weeks is to apply these to our own lives and to be able to use them to apply to the lives of others who are struggling with the place that the law has um, in God's salvation. Okay? So God has a very real, very important, very intense purpose for these messages that, um, that we've had through the book of Galatians. They apply to each of us. Today, in today's text, we're going to see less of Paul as the thundering theologian and teacher and more as a shepherd with a heart for the wandering sheep. So let's, um, let's read Galatians 4, 8 through 20. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all, You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I, therefore, become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have my doubts about you. Imagine the cities of Galatia and the, um, the first one to enter these cities with the gospel. You're um, challenged by the smoke of incense raising up to these, um, these idols, these false gods, uh, fruit, um, sacrifices offered to, um, to, to idols. Where do you even begin? These Galatians were in bondage to idols. And uh, they may have called them gods. Paul says, nope, they, uh, they're not gods at all. Not by their origin, not by their nature. There are demons who receive 
the worship of idols, they, um, in effect, stand behind the idols and they love to have um, humans bow down to them and uh, offer sacrifices. Um, the Galatians were, were really slaves to these idols and to the demons. And so that if an idol, if a demon said, I want you to sacrifice your farm animals, or I want you to sacrifice a, a relative, or I want you to, um, to uh, do harm to yourself, the idolater lived in stark fear of um, what those demons would do if he didn't obey. The Galatians' lives were ruled by superstition and by mind-numbing rules. Praise the Lord, he sent the gospel. And in verse 9, we read that um, after you have known God, or rather are known by God. So there was, um, there was a vital connection that the Galatians gained with their creator, their redeemer, the lover of their souls. Not... Um, not that, it, that they knew God was most important. There are people who say that they know God when actually they don't. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. But in the Galatians' uh, case, they not only knew God, but they were known by God. It stresses the, um, the importance of God as the initiator. Uh, Luke reminded us in his Christmas message that really the eternal life that God offers, he offers as a gift. There's, there's no payment that we can make for that. And in the same way, God's relationship he initiates from heaven, from glory, to needy sinners. So it's good to know God. It's even better to be known by God. But the Galatians turned to the law. They, um, they turned again to the weak and beggarly elements. The apostle was amazed. You can't help but, um, but uh, recognize some of his... Um, his amazement here, first, that they would turn from the revelation of the one true God who had brought them out of darkness, out of ignorance, out of superstition and hopelessness. And that they would turn from God to law-keeping. These were, this law was weak and beggarly. It had its purpose but in, um, in saving souls, it has no strength. The law has no, um, no authority. It has no strength to save. But instead, the law is destitute. It's poverty-stricken, like the uh, poor uh, street person. He, uh, he doesn't have $20 to give you. He has nothing to give you for salvation. And then uh, Paul was amazed that they turned from God to the law and that they would submit themselves to... Uh, to bondage uh, anew. The, stranger, the uh, Galatians were no stranger to bondage. They'd lived that way for centuries. But how pitifully short that duration was between their liberty in Christ and 
now they're seeking to put themselves under this, um, this set, this system of, um, of commandments. They observed days, months, seasons, years. The days were uh, the Sabbaths. The months were the new moons. The seasons, perhaps the annual feasts of Leviticus. And the years, the sabbatical year of Leviticus. And then the year of Jubilee every, every 50 years. Paul was acquainted enough as an ex-Pharisee to recognize the trap that the Galatians were entering into. It was a, a, a life of useless ritualism. The Galatians were trading vital heavenly life for earthly externals. Personally, do you believe that obedience to God's law is necessary for salvation? Do you believe that faith plus, faith in Christ plus obedience to the law is necessary for salvation? Do you believe that uh, obedience to the law is necessary to keep you saved, saved by faith in Christ, but now do you have to obey the law to stay saved? Or uh, perhaps do you believe that um, Salvation is through faith in Christ, but obedience to the law makes my salvation so much richer, so much better. Paul denounces these things. He, um, he asks uh, questions. I'd like to ask you questions. Um, first, why must Christ have died at all if your obedience earns merit with God? Why should Christ have died at all? If you're gaining merit with God through your actions, through your obedience, why should he have died at all? Paul wrote to the Galatians, he said, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ is dead in vain. There was no reason for him to suffer on the cross. Second question for you, my friend, is which of the 610 commandments of the Old Testament are you to obey if you are to come to God through the law? Uh, Noad read 20 of the commandments. Some of them I uh, had barely heard before. Um, I can't keep even 20. And you're saying you're going to keep 610 of these commandments every minute of every day? If this message finds you relying in the least on the, on the law of God for your salvation, please review the letter to the Galatians, especially uh, chapters 3 and 4, because they are for you. They address the, uh, the place that the law has in, in salvation. The apostles' fear, he says, I'm afraid for you, is similar to that which he had for the uh, Corinthians. He said, I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he, comes, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, 
or if a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. You, you hear these, um, uh, these evil doctrines being preached and you, you just sit there. You just uh, accept it as, uh, as truth when actually it's, um, it's error. The apostle had toiled for the Galatians to the point of exhaustion and was facing the prospect of losing this important testimony for Christ. Not only would there be a loss of testimony in this strategic area of the world, but think for a second uh, about future generations. The preacher comes up, and uh, in, the, in the congregation there are those who are truly seeking God. They're seeking salvation. They, they are hurting um, from sin. And the preacher preaches a Judaized gospel, which is no gospel. He says, um, you, you must be circumcised. You must uh, keep the Ten Commandments. You must do these things. Well, uh, this person's being led astray, and he'll never find the Lord uh, through that preaching. So Paul's afraid. He's, um, he's truly fearful for the Galatian believers. The... Um, the Ishmaels, the false children that would be born from a false gospel, would be as lost and as anathema as their Judaizing preachers. This was a loss that the apostle would not permit. So he pleads for the church. He pleads to the church. In, um, in verse 12, brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. Through a surprising and tragic exchange, Paul became like the Galatians without the law, and yet he must now urge them to become like him without the law. What does that mean? Well, um, who was Paul that the Galatians should be like him. Before Paul met the Lord Jesus, he was a proud Pharisee, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Whoa, that's a Pharisee. In Christ, Paul was arrested on the uh, road to Damascus. He met the Lord Jesus and he was transformed. He believed on the Lord Jesus. And so he continues in Philippians 3. He says, but what things were gained to me, thinking back on all those uh, Pharisaic uh, accomplishments, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, whom I have suffered, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen very carefully. Be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, 
but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So this is Paul. This is Paul uh, in Christ. He's um, not seeking the righteousness from the law. He's abandoning all his um, Pharisaic roots, and he's um, clinging to the Lord alone for his safety. Who were the Galatians? We know now uh, who Paul is. Now, who were the Galatians? Well, in Christ, they had no claim to righteousness through the law. They weren't part of the um, Jewish system. They, um, uh, they were not uh, wrapped up in, in obedience to the law. Under the influence of the Judaizers, they were turning into Pharisees. They were seeking God's merit through obedience to the law. So um, when Paul says, I urge you to become like me, he's saying, I urge you to abandon these, uh, these legalistic trappings. Get rid of it. Get rid of uh, this law-keeping. To his horror, Paul realized that his spiritual children were heading for the same feudal Judaism that he had, he had left, he had abandoned. Slide, please. The illustration is uh, like a burning building. You, you flee this burning building. There's the siren. Oh, right on time. And as you, as you leave the building, you turn back and you look and you see loved ones crowding to enter into the building. And you're saying, no, get out of there. That building's on fire. You're going to die if you go in. And uh, this, is, uh, this is Paul's horror. This is his fear. Um, it's the thing that nightmares are made of. And yet it happened. It was happening in the churches of Galatia. The, Paul, the apostle had renounced the law as a means of obtaining or maintaining or enhancing his relationship, and he urged these misguided Galatians to do the same. In addressing the Galatians, the apostle could have used the words of the hymn writer, nothing, either great or small, nothing, sinner, no. Jesus died and paid it all long, long ago. Cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. It is finished, yes indeed, finished every jot. Sinner, this is all you need. Tell me, is it not? Through Paul's urging, he may be concerned that um, the Galatians thought they may have offended him. So he tells them in verse 8, you've not injured me at all. I have no feeling of personal injury by your, uh, your treatment, by the things that you've done in the, in the churches. It's not a strike at me personally, the, the apostle may have said, so much as a strike against God's truth. You've, um, you've really uh, damaged the, uh, your testimony. You've um, um, 
You've misused God's truth, and so it's really a strike against you. You've not injured me at all. Next, Paul takes them back to, um, to the Galatians' reception of him. He reminds them on his first visit that he had come and preached the gospel to, to them. And as with the Corinthians, Paul was with the Galatians in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul's trial, which was in his flesh in verse 14, may have been a repulsive or disgusting disease or disfigurement. Yet for the sake of the message, the Galatians did not despise or reject the messenger. In fact, the Galatians received Paul as, a, as an angel, or literally as a messenger of God. Um, and the Thessalonians had done so as well. Paul writes of them, he said, When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually works in you who believe. So the, um, the Galatians recognized the, the authority of Paul as uh, from the Lord himself. They received the apostle as Christ, as they would have received Christ, which is entirely scriptural and proper. In Luke 10, the Lord Jesus said, He who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So it was good that, uh, that these Galatians had received the, uh, the apostle, so. He asked them a rhetorical question in verse 15. What was the blessing that you enjoyed? What was that prosperity that you had, uh, had entered into such a short time ago? It was really the blessing of Abraham that had come upon the Gentiles. Paul describes this blessing to the church at Rome, and he does so in Romans 4, starting at verse 3. He says, For what does the, what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So he's, um, he's explaining that this prosperity that the Galatians enjoyed was one that was first given to Abraham. Abraham, the, um, the father of, uh, of the Jewish religion, came to the Lord on Gentile ground. He, he came as, um, as a Gentile. And... Um, this belief was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. But not only Abraham, Paul continues in verse 6, uh, Romans 4, 6, he says, Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. There's a real blessing um, that's, um, 
That's awesome to have my sins forgiven, my sins covered, and to have those sins not imputed to me for judgment, for guilt. Not just to Abraham, not just to David, but to Gentiles as well. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. So uh, this blessing that the Galatians enjoyed was a blessing to Jew and Gentile. And really, the Lord Jesus is the object of our faith. Paul goes on in Romans 4, verses 24 and 25. He says, This righteousness shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. That was a mouthful. That's the blessing that the Galatians had found in believing on the Lord Jesus. They had this um, justification by faith. They were, um, they were reckoned righteous because of their faith in the Lord Jesus. Is this the blessing that you have this morning? Do you know that um, justification, that, uh, that declared righteousness through faith in the Lord Jesus? If not, I urge you to talk, talk with the elders here, um, find out how you can enter into that blessedness. As we might have expected, the Galatians um, erupted with gratitude. Paul says in verse 15, if it was possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. What he's saying is, if I'd asked you for your best, you would have given them to me because you were so grateful, you were so uh, rejoicing in this good news, in this gospel. Do we appreciate the messengers of God, those who God sent to us today to bring his gospel? Please make a point of thanking them for the, uh, for the gospel that they brought to you in your need. Paul addresses the, um, the Galatians' fickleness. He says in verse 16, Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Why so hostile now? He asks three questions in these, uh, in these verses. He says, How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements? He says, What was the blessing you enjoyed? And now he asks, have I become your enemy? Paul loved the Galatians, and he's using these questions to get them to think. Where have you come from, Galatians? Where are you going? You're, you're headed down the wrong path. Nevertheless, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less you love me. Why are you so hostile? It's because I told you the truth. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you or hypnotized you 
that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? What else could love have done? I am confronting you, I am challenging you because I love you and because I want your best. I'm not willing that you should go down this wrong path. For me to be silent would be to assure your fall from grace. So the, Lord, so the apostle expresses his, um, his concern for the Galatians in uh, verse 17. He's, he says, um, he uncovers the Judaizers' motives. He says, uh, they are whining and dining you, but not for your benefit. They seek a following. Therefore, they want to isolate you from other believers. They want to, um, uh, to take you apart from, from the other believers in the Lord. And they want you to become dependent on them. They want to control you. They want to manipulate you. And then once in their grip, you're going to find out how controlling they really are. Paul says in verse 18, it's good to be zealous and a good thing always. Applied to the Galatians, Paul may be saying, as your attitude was when I was with you, I wish your attitude was now. Applied to the apostle, he may be saying, my motives toward you are honorable and pure, whether I'm with you or absent, in contrast to these uh, manipulative Judaizers. He tells the Galatians of his pain in verse 19. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Little children is a term of affection by a teacher to his disciples under circumstances requiring a tender appeal. Jesus used this tenderness, this expression, to his disciples before his crucifixion. My little children. His, um, Paul's first birth pangs were going through the cities the first time. And the agony, the anguish of, um, uh, of seeing these people given over to idolatry, but preaching the gospel to them. He gave birth to many Galatians. The second set of birth pangs that the apostle is experiencing is as he frees these Galatians from the bondage, the heartache, the futility of law-keeping. It's kind of ironic that um, uh, Paul uses the word again. He's kind of saying to the Galatians, is it possible for a mother to experience birth pangs twice for her child? That's what I'm doing for you. The evidence of the Galatians' salvation would be to see Christ formed in their lives. This, um, this transformation, this metamorphosis is internal. It's, uh, it's in the heart, 
but it's going to show itself in their attitude, in their actions, in their speech. And this is what Paul wants for them, Christ formed in you, Christ-like, uh, mature in the faith. In verse 20, he says, I long to be with you. It's more effective for me to talk with you in person, Paul says, than to carry on this correspondence with you. Email and Facebook have done nothing to change this. We still need that face time, that face-to-face conversation. Paul indicates that he, he could assess the condition of the Galatians and be more tender or more firm if he could only have that, that feedback um, in person. Until then, Paul says, I'm really doubtful, I'm really perplexed about your handling of this uh, situation with the Judaizers. What should we take from this morning's study? If you're trying to gain the, law, the Lord's favor through the law, stop. Stop. Review uh, what Paul is teaching in these, um, uh, in these arguments that he's, he's given to the Galatians. Realize that in Jesus we are now free. There is no condemnation. Jesus provides a perfect salvation. Come unto me, O hear his sweet call. Come and he saves us once and for all. And for those standing in fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, commit these truths to heart. There are, um, there are eight, um, seven or eight, depending on how you group them, in chapter three and the first part of chapter four. Test yourself. How many of them can you list this afternoon um, in review. You want to have those ready because we will meet those who are struggling with this whole, um, this whole concept of the law. What does the law do for us in, in salvation? Be ready. Be ready for those whom we will meet to help them in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. We think of um, all the troubles, Lord, that we bring because of our misuse of your law. Your law is perfect, it's good, it's holy, and yet um, how prone we are to grab it and seek to obey it to, in our pride to, uh, to come to you. We thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you for modern day uh, apostles who confront and challenge. They love us and they will not allow us to continue in error. We pray that we might be like the Apostle Paul in challenging others that, uh, that we meet in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our home, here in the chapel. We, uh, we want to be uh, workmen that are um, ready, uh, ready for service. Uh, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.